This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, O Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Politics, politics program for November 23rd, 2022. Your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you on the sleepiest week of the political calendar. But don't worry, we ain't gonna leave you hanging. We got a great discussion here uh, coming up a little bit later uh, about all things Ron DeSantis, the reelection, the Trump feud. And how you, you, the listener at home, can pay attention to the inner workings of the myth-making in DeSantis' world. We are also going to talk about Kevin McCarthy's road to Speaker of the House getting a little bit more difficult. He is now past the point of not being named Speaker of the House, at least if you count the no votes that have made their intentions known and much more. Uh, We're not going to talk a ton this episode. We will talk a lot more next week about the runoff election in Georgia that will determine whether or not the, uh, the Democrats will gain a seat in the Senate. But we do have a, a brand new impact for BZ award poll of Georgia. This one was commissioned by AARP. In it, Warnock is up 51 to 47. You know, that is still within the margin of error, technically. Uh, 4.4% is what that is. 500 likely voters. But take a look at these favorables and unfavorables. Warnock has a 51% favorable, 45% unfavorable. Walker, underwater, 45% favorable, 49% unfavorable. And if you're wondering whether or not Georgia is in love with Joe Biden or the Democrats, they ain't. 43% approval for Joe Biden, 54% disapproval. It is my estimation it's going to be hard sledding for Walker to beat Warnock. The the large question here, which, you know, kind of happens in in all these races is turnout. Exactly who is going to show up? Black turnout was down relative to 2020 in 2022. In Georgia, with a black man running for Senate and another black man running for Senate and a black woman running running for governor, the same black woman who was heaped Upon with praise because she had created the vaunted black turnout machine. So we will debate that and other issues as we get into December. A reminder that that race will take place on December 6th. However, we've got a show to do. But first. Like I said, this is a very sleepy week in politics. The midterms are all but finished. So if you're not in Georgia, you're probably, well, packing it up. The new Congress will not be sworn in until January unless there is something incredibly ambitious. It will not likely be done before the end of the year. And so most of D.C. is taken, you know, the week off. Except for one man. One man with big dreams. One man who would like to have in his obituary when that eventually comes former Speaker of the House. 
and that is Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy has a much thinner majority than he would have liked coming out of the midterms. The Republicans do take the chamber. However, he needs 218 votes to be Speaker of the House, and he's got members of his conference that ain't exactly thrilled with him, namely the Freedom Caucus. A reminder that back when we laid out all of our spectrum of possibilities, there was a reason why the Democrats losing the House but losing it by a very thin majority was looked at, at least by me, and I think now it's pretty well validated, a win for the Democrats because it means Kevin McCarthy has to run around and very much keep on his mind what members of the Freedom Caucus think. But before he even gets to do that, he's got to become speaker first. And right now, he's got one more voice saying that he is a hard no to vote for Kevin McCarthy. That is Representative Ralph Northman. He is from South Carolina. He told Politico that he would be a hard no vote against the California Republican, dismissing that he would either vote present or not attend the speakership vote early next year. He's going to show up and he's going to put the N before the O. Norman's comments bring the tally of members threatening to vote against McCarthy to five. While some are saying point blank, they will not support the California Republican. Others are just strongly indicating so. Those names include Representative Andy Biggs, who's actually running for speaker himself, Matt Gates of Florida, Matt Rosendale of Montana, and Bob Good of Virginia. As of right now, as I speak to you, it looks likely that the Republican majority is going to be 220 seats. If Kevin McCarthy needs 218 votes, having five people say that they are not going to vote for you would seemingly put his dream out of reach. But old K-Mac is not going quiet into that good night. He has been out stoking the base, hopefully making an opposition of him a more unpopular position, up to and including saying that he will remove Ilhan Omar and Eric Swalwell, two controversial Democrats, off the House Intelligence Committee. This is where you start to get the tit-for-tat reprisals from removing Marjorie Taylor Greene's commitments and old anime face Paul Gozer when that dumb anime video became national uh, uh, controversy. So there's going to be a little tit for tat there. And he's heading down to the Southern border to have some harsh words about the Biden administration's handling of that. Will it be enough? Most of the smart money again seems to be on Kevin McCarthy pulling this out, either by having a few blue dog Democrats underline their bona fides by uh, uh, voting for this show to get on the road or by some of the folks in the Freedom Caucus maybe reversing some of their strong stances and eventually just settling in and voting for him. What I would watch for is any kind of credible opposition. Andy Biggs is not going to be someone that will win 218 votes. I don't think anybody else will. But if, let's say, somebody like Steve Scalise defected, which I don't think is going to happen, maybe there's a, a, a chance or if there is more widespread disruption within the Republican ranks, then maybe there will be some kind of compromise candidate. But right now... At least everybody that is usually smart about this stuff seems to think that this is all just a long roundabout way for people to get their name in the news. And then eventually Kevin McCarthy is going to be speaker. All right, everybody, let's take a real quick break so we can remind you that the one and only way that you can continue to stay on top of the 2024 race to the White House is to start here. At the beginning, it's always in the quiet moments when all the dirt happens. You know, that's what they say about magic tricks. Magic tricks, it's always in the, uh, the, the moment that you don't expect where all the work is done. And we are seeing some of that now. You're seeing all of the possible Republican 
primary opponents. Just just test the fence a little bit. Oh, Mike Pence has a book coming out. Oh, Mike Pompeo just wants to float something about Randy Weingarten, the uh, head of the, the teachers' union. Test in the fence, here and there. Does that get traction? Do I have any lane here? Is anyone else going to say the same thing that I say? But there's only one place where you can get it decoded and sent directly to your podcatcher of choice. And that is by heading to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That is our Patreon page at the $3 level. You get that custom RSS feed that you can put into the podcatcher of your choice. Set it and forget it. You don't have to enter your username and password unless you want to go back into the Patreon website for some reason. But in terms of getting the product that you pay for, it is done. Bada bing, bada boom to your podcatcher each and every time. And how many times a week is that? Well, I'll tell you, friends, twice. Once on Monday morning where we do our Sunday, Sunday, Sunday program, breaking down all of the Sunday talk shows. And then, of course, Thursday, we've got our late edition. The latest that we break news on this show is on the Thursday show. The Friday show is pre-taped. So if you would like to be on our team, be among those that subsidize and and truly, truly give me the opportunity to cover this the way that not only I want to, but also you deserve. Then you got to head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 Club gets you two bonus episodes each and every week. A new lockdown has been triggered for 33 million people, implementing the nation's toughest restrictions. The Labor Department says inflation is at a 40-year high. Violent crime is way up, a rate we haven't seen in decades. Gas prices soaring to the highest average ever recorded. Lockdowns, rampant inflation, rising crime, soaring gas prices, a nation on the brink. Florida was a refuge of sanity when the world went mad. We stood as a citadel of freedom for people across this country and indeed across the world. While our nation struggled, Florida thrived. 1,000 people moved to Florida every day. Southwest Florida is ranking all the way at the top of a list of the best inexpensive places to live. Doesn't America deserve the same? To defeat Biden and restore our country, America needs leadership. We need Ron DeSantis. Ron to the rescue paid for and is responsible for the content of this ad. That is a campaign ad. That campaign ad is from the Ready for Ron Political Action Committee. So, as you might already be aware, considering we already have one announced candidate in former President Donald Trump, 2024 has indeed begun. So, where does that leave us in terms of Ron DeSantis, the only other name that seems to have a credible chance at dethroning the standard bearer of the Republican Party since, really, the summer of 2015? Well, Ron DeSantis was famously just reelected to his position as governor of Florida by a rather beefy margin. He has not done as his one-time supporter, Donald Trump, wants him to and announced that he will not run for president. All of the issues of political momentum would seem to say that now is the time. And yet, DeSantis has been coy. We had a few Club for Growth polls that came out right after the midterms that seemed to show that Ron DeSantis was up in all these key states. There was a poll that came out today that showed him ahead in Iowa, but we do have a few national polls from Emerson that I want to go over for you. These are the top receiving votes candidates or receiving support candidates for 2024 in the Republican primary. We're going to start from the bottom. Nikki Haley at 3%. Ted Cruz at 3%. Liz Cheney has 4%. Liz Cheney over Ted Cruz. That's interesting. Mike Pence has 8%. And then we get to our top two. Ron DeSantis with 25. Donald Trump with 55. 
the newly reactivated Twitter account, there's a candidate attached to it too, is still the unquestioned leader in the clubhouse at this stage of the game. What's more with these Emerson polls? They also polled both of those guys against Joe Biden. And both of them lose. DeSantis by four, 38 to 43, and Trump, 41 to 45. And just in case you thought that Joe Biden's approval ratings were good in that poll, they ain't. He's got a 39% approval rating. So what are we to make of it? What are we to make of Ron DeSantis' chances right now? But more specifically, how are we to understand exactly how this is going to go? Well, to do that, we have to speak to somebody that has followed Governor DeSantis for the last few years. She is based in the great state of Florida, so she has also covered Donald Trump and was even there in Mar-a-Lago when he announced his intention to run for president. Let's welcome to the program for the first time, Kimberly Leonard. Welcome to the show, Kimberly. Thank you. So Ron DeSantis obviously is somebody who is on the ascendancy. He has a big win in uh, the state of Florida, which is not known for big wins. He flips counties that are not normally flipped and, and does them in margins that are kind of eye popping. And yet we still don't know exactly where the dimensions of the primary are going to be, although all signs point to him running. You have have done a really great job in staying on this beat. But what I first want to ask you about is this super PAC, uh, uh, Ron to the rescue, which you reported on initially. And even so far back as, as last year, uh, the, the head of this waffling on whether or not he's going to do it, he does it. And now Ron DeSantis, office says, Hey, knock it off. Our donors are given money that they could be given us. Yeah. So what happened was that um, John Thomas, who is a Republican strategist, not affiliated with Governor DeSantis, had decided over the summer to suspend plans for this PAC. And the reason for that was because at the time, a lot of the Trump supported primary candidates were doing so well. And so he and I had a conversation about the decision then. And he said, you know, Trump still has this huge hold on the party. And if Trump runs, there's just no doubt to me that he's going to be the nominee. But he said, I have one caveat. Yep. He said, if Trump supported candidates do poorly in the on election day, that changes the calculus for me. And so we had talked then and then, you know, kind of had continued to be in touch. And the week of the election, I texted him to say, have your plans changed? And he texted me back saying, yes, Ron versus the Don, I'm here for it. Yeah. And so he launches the super PAC again. It gets a ton of attention. A lot of other news outlets picked it up because there is this energy behind, you know, who, if it, if not Trump, who? And so yeah. a lot of folks are, you know, donating to the cause. They're seeing volunteers. They've already, you know, launched an ad that they're going to run in Iowa and, you know, the, the DeSantis folks, they want to let people know that, you know, it's not them. It's not Governor DeSantis making any decisions. He doesn't have any announcements made. But it, it isn't it is trying to, to poise itself as this sort of outside force to encourage the governor to enter yeah. the 2024 primary for president. So do you think that the pushback from the governor's office is to protect their own donors and, and money source that they will almost certainly be directing toward their own super PACs, if not the campaign itself uh, at some time next year? Or is is this just kind of a, a kabuki theater of, hey, just so you know, this isn't a sign that we've made any decision? I think it's a, a combination of the two. And I think there after we also saw former President Trump go after DeSantis before the election, even, yeah. you know, a few days leading up to it, there's no reason to fan those flames. And when 
ever the governor gets asked about, you know, potentially what's going to happen. He's been dodging the questions a lot and sort of saying, well, you know, yes, we led in Florida, but he hasn't been punching back at Trump at all. And so I think that part of it is strategic to say, you know what, I'm just going to be governor right now. I'm going to, I just one Florida, I'm focusing on this, you know, the inauguration hasn't had the inauguration, the swearing in for Florida governor for his second term hasn't happened yet. So, so it's, 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 it's all calculated and, and um, something that, you know, they, they also don't want to give any impression to folks who don't follow politics that closely that he's made any decision yet. Although he did punch back a little bit with the, you know, he mentioned, you know, a, l- l- look at the scoreboard in reference to a a question from Trump. What was it uh, a week and a half ago or, or just just after the the election? And that is the exact argument that this super PAC made the decision to to come back and start funding this this uh, Ron to the rescue argument on that. Hey, the, the they ran up the score in Florida. That's where the red wave was. And apparently there wasn't any red wave throughout the rest of the country. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely taking a victory lap without saying, you know, it's Trump's fault elsewhere. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, so the thing is, too, to think about Governor DeSantis campaigned with a lot of the same folks that Trump endorsed. Mm-hmm. So it's not as though he wasn't active in other campaigns because he was, um, and some of them lost. But undeniably, if you look at the Florida map, it's just changed so much. And it's certainly went further than I think a lot of us who cover Florida day in, day out, even expected. You know, we expected him to win just because, you know, you you attend the rallies and you see the crowds and you see the yeah. energy and the polls and all that. But the margin. And Charlie Crist is higher. a multiple time loser for that that uh, uh, that that position after he held it as a Republican and then switched parties. Well, and whenever you would go to a Ron DeSantis rally he didn't even mention charlie chris by name not once he talked about joe biden yeah. but he never talked about charlie chris so i think that really demonstrated you know how confident he was heading into the race and he was also up in new york campaigning with lee zeldin you know yeah. what a week a week before the election so it just showed that they his team certainly was um expecting to do well let me take a, a brief detour from Ron DeSantis for, for just a second, because one of my favorite punching bags on this program is the Florida Democratic Party. Uh, this has to be a, a a thundering loss for them to lose firewalls like Miami-Dade County to to only win Broward County. I don't know what the final numbers settled out at, but Broward County, where I'm from, they they win by single digits, which is just insane if you want to be competitive statewide. Do you get the sense that this is a moment of reckoning for for Florida Democrats that they need to get their you know, that that, that there needs to be a, a come to Jesus moment or, or is this hapless uh, uh, wagon just going to keep trundling down the road? I see them more as retreating. Honestly, at this point, I don't see a lot of doubling down in terms of what needs to be done. And this was something that I asked them a lot leading up to the election. You know, what's the strategy? Because they <laughs> Republicans were out registering them so significantly that the math wasn't there. Yeah. And so, you know, I didn't see the ground game that I saw Republicans doing. And I didn't release and, and you didn't see the dollars there either. Right. Um mm-hmm. DeSantis raised a ton of money. He set a record for a gubernatorial race. Um, and the record he set was against others who self-funded their campaigns. So, it, you know, it's it was an astounding amount of cash. So you don't see folks from outside the state really investing in Florida, except in the case of Val Demings. She raised a ton yeah. of money. But Rubio won very comfortably against Demings. And, you know, part of that is just the shifting of the state. But I think also... It seems as though a lot of folks who moved into Florida during COVID ended up voting more along conservative lines, Republican lines, or maybe just DeSantis lines because they were happy with how he handled the state. You know, culturally, Florida is very, you know, anything goes and you could really see where lockdowns and mass mandates wouldn't work here as well. Um, And so, you know, the governor ran unapologetically unapologetically on his record. And it really trickled down to a lot of other Republicans who were running and Democrats, you know, frankly, I, I didn't even, you know, during a lot of campaigns, you get a lot of opposition research from the other side. I got almost nothing about governor DeSantis. So there was just, this was a, 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 a campaign in name only. And, 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 and that was, was what it was. 
Right. I mean, there were times when I would call up Democrats to ask if they had a response to something the governor said, and <laughs> then they would direct me to something about Senator Rubio, which so it, it just it, they, there wasn't the they weren't in sort of the attack mode against the governor. Now, that means, of course, so what happens if he enters a Republican primary? Is there suddenly a lot of material that, you know, his opponents will work with? Uh, they just but but so anyway, they, it just we just didn't see the 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 money, the energy and the strategy behind uh, Florida Democrats. And it's going to take someone, I think, to come in and lead um, and, you know, also additional investments. But I don't know that there's the um, I don't know that there's the. The energy, behind the, the yeah. desire to do that. Well, I, for one, will begin holding my breath as soon as we're done with this interview. But uh, let's let, let's talk about the future of of Ron DeSantis over the next year. He's got a legislative session coming up next, uh, uh, you know, into the beginning of next summer. One might expect that with uh, plenty on his plate there, uh, up to and including this fight with Disney that that might end in some uh, a pretty unpredictable chaos that he might announce after that, but let's, let, let's talk about what he would do before. Is there a target from, from what you are hearing of things that he would like to get done theoretically before he might announce for president? The main thing that he promised was tax cuts. So yeah. he had a whole long list of places where he was going to cut the, um, the sales tax in Florida. Cause we don't have an income tax down here. So mm-hmm. that does help with affordability quite a bit. But he's he's going to remove or he's at least going to propose that the legislature send him a bill to remove taxes on a lot of needed items. And a lot of them are items you know, that are very family oriented. So things like diapers and you know, strollers, baby clothes, things like that. Um, pet medicine. You know, there, yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff where you think, OK, well, this is the stuff that you're going to need anyway. Um, and he's going to frame it as, you know, pushing back against inflation and other he's been vague in other areas. So, for example, you know, he signed a bill into law that um, bans abortion after 15 weeks mm-hmm. in Florida. There's no exceptions for rape and incest. And for decades, Florida has been the sort of, you know, most permissive state when it comes to abortion laws. So that's a, a big change from from where it was. And he has vowed to have additional, quote, pro-life legislation, but he, he, he didn't specify what that meant. And that probably yeah. was strategic in terms of, um, you know, being able to set, to say, you know, this is where we set the limits and we're not, you know, are we going to go beyond that? But, you know, he could all buy pro-life. He could also mean more funding for families and things like that. The yeah. Republicans are starting to sort of remold the definition of pro-life and they're saying things like, you know, we're helping support active fathers were helping to support families and single moms. And so you're seeing some of that policy change. And so I wouldn't be surprised if, if there were more limits on abortion, that it was also coupled with some sort of um, assistance as well. Yeah. My guess is that, that nationally, the, the, the median line is about where he said it for, for the Republican side at, at, at 15 weeks. So I, I would be, I don't know. It, it would be interesting. I mean, uh, especially considering how calculating the DeSantis's are. You wrote a great uh, piece for Insider about Casey DeSantis, the wife of Ron. Uh, she cut uh, a, a very, very uh, a strong ad toward the end of that campaign after she had battled cancer where she just looked down the barrel of the camera and with, you know, no music behind it, talked about how uh, much she leaned on Ron DeSantis during that uh, situation. But part of it is also that she is an image crafter. And, and, and if there's one thing that you have seen in both of his campaigns is he, whether or not you like Ron DeSantis, you generally know what he is trying to say about himself. And there's very little kind of wiggle room on that. In this case, it was defiant leader in 2016 or 2018, rather, it might have been a little bit more Trump sycophant. But there's there's no doubt that he is going going to go into whatever happens next very, very intentionally. So the question then becomes, what is that intentionality and is he going to try to start that in the legislative session or is there anything that we should be looking forward, uh, looking looking to as little hints for for what new national Ron might look like? 
Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to say, you know, First Lady Casey DeSantis here in Florida is probably the most overlooked, underestimated person in politics right now. I mean, honestly, people look, there's all these profiles written about Governor DeSantis, right? And his wife gets a paragraph. She's so much more than that. She really crafted this person who is Ron DeSantis. She's the one who makes him, you know, appear family oriented and more likable and to to frame his fighting for Florida as something about care that's about the family and those kinds of things. And she really mobilized a lot of women voters in Florida. And so that's why you saw a lot of female voters also, you know, gravitate toward DeSantis. She ran this whole campaign called Mamas for DeSantis. And if you'll notice as well, when he got up on that stage of victory night, he was standing with his wife, his three beautiful children. And you really, you know, they're not just they're not just setting an image, right? They're telling us a story. They're telling yes. us, you know, we're doing this because of the future. We're doing this for our children. And there's that sort of implicit, you know, message that gets sent that I could see in a primary in which, you know, he'd be what the youngest person to run. Mm -hmm. That might be very appealing to a lot of voters. You know, it's a big change from what we've had the past few cycles, very similar to what we saw with President Obama, for example. And so I, first of all, Governor DeSantis does press conferences all over Florida, and he uses whatever press conference it is to also field a lot of questions on any topic. And so that gives us, the press, a lot of opportunity to ask about things like the future of the Republican Party, you know, where he stands on Disney now, and, you know, yeah. what are you going to do next, and, and so forth. And he usually answers them, and that gets him a lot of headlines. So those press conferences are the first thing to watch, I would say, in terms of any any sort of shift in message or anything like that, because... DeSantis doesn't say things accidentally. Everything is planned. Everything is calculated. He is prepared for every question and every location he goes to is, is you know, there's something yeah. behind it. There's there's they, you know, on January 6th anniversary this year, he was in Palm Beach, which who else lives in Palm in Beach? Palm Beach? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, is, is former President Trump. And so he I, I asked him a question then about January 6th. He was clearly prepared for it. So so any way that he's weighing in on the national conversation, I think as well, if we see him campaigning in Georgia um, with Herschel Walker, I they haven't made any announcements about that yet. And then, yeah, heading into next year for the inauguration, it'll be very interesting to see, you know, if they have any major performances, if they if there's a speech that's more geared toward national audience than a Florida audience. And then, of course, yeah, any any major legislation that goes through Florida where where he's going to I mean, they're basically going to be at his beck and call in the legislature, you know, whatever yeah. he says will go. So so he'll introduce, you know, a slew of policies that he will want the legislature to send him in, 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 in bill form. And I expect that they'll pretty much give him whatever he asked for. So he, he has a super majority in the Florida, in the uh, Florida Congress. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's, he's going to get what he wants. Let, let's talk about Disney. Another thing that you broke uh, was that he got married at Disney. Uh, uh, and uh, that is very interesting as a backdrop considering Number one, and I want to reiterate for folks who are not, you know, super Florida politics literate, that there are a few people that you don't cross in Florida politics, at least historically. One of them's Disney. The other's Big Sugar. And the third uh, is the Seminole tribe. He he did one. You know, he he crosses uh, uh, crosses one and says that the the Reedy Creek Improvement Zone, which had previously effectively allowed uh, uh, Walt Disney World to operate as its own government would be revoked. Where are we with that? And do we expect that that might be resolved prior to next summer when theoretically he might announce that he's running for president? Yeah, they do have to resolve it because it's not exactly clear who takes on the debt and who is going to get charged more. So, for instance, would the folks who live in Orange County get taxed higher because of this shift that's now happening? Um, the Senate, the Florida Senate released a report saying that they had an indeterminate um, result from um the study that they did. So they have to really nail down how exactly they're going to do this because they want they obviously want. Disney to be the one to take on any yes. extra costs. They don't want, you know, folks who live in the area to have to do that. So that what they did in the legislation is that the the 
it doesn't actually take effect until later next year. And so that gives them the time to be able to essentially work this out. So, so this feud with Disney is basically sort of like on hold until they can figure out exactly what they want to do. And the governor hasn't said precisely what he's going to do on that. There is a new CEO at Disney. I don't, I, I did send his office a note yesterday to see if they'd already talked, you know, to see if he had any comment about the switchover. Um, didn't hear back, but but I'm, you know, I'm sure <laughs> that'll be a question that he'll get, you know, at one of these press conferences uh, that he tends to do, uh, and, and he'll he'll be able to maybe set some of some of uh, maybe drop some hints about what he has planned there. You know, uh, and 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 for for whatever storytelling and and uh, political myth making that that is going to go on having the the head of Bob Chapik the now former CEO of Disney on your wall uh for for Ron DeSantis is something that I think he will likely at some point uh, uh crow about especially if this is solved through some kind of mediation uh, uh before any kind of legal action takes place and i think one way to think about it too is that the governor is setting more of a agenda in terms of how he is going to deal with big business because this isn't just disney he's going to be going after probably a lot of larger corporations that you know try to implement certain workplace policies and things like that and so um it's it's not just disney i think yeah. we'll start to see a lot more from some of the big companies here in florida um other than the taxes that the the tax uh, cuts that everyone in business will be happy about there's going to probably be more on you know controlling what exactly kinds of like workplace trainings they do and things like yeah. that, that that he has kind of already um already been working on well, uh, as as our sign to how media coverage has gone since the midterms, we will now spend the final third of this conversation talking about the other big uh, uh, politician from Florida. The one that uh, we pointed out earlier in this show is uh, still leading uh, by by double digits in national polls, and that is former President Donald Trump. Where are we now with this personal rivalry like i had i had heard whispers early on uh, about a year ago that that you know any kind of division was a little bit more blown up in the media than it really was and they were they were they were more simpatico than people were 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 giving them credit for that does not seem to be the case at this point obviously DeSantis keeping his powder dry not the same for Trump who dubbed him Ron DeSantimonious before plugging him for governor a, a, a day later so so right now Donald Trump versus Ron DeSantis where are we yeah. Um, and I was at the announcement at Mar-a-Lago last week and, you know, was watching to see whether he would say anything about the governor. And he did. He kept it focused on Biden. I do expect that he'll keep making comments on Truth Social. And um, I, I don't know if it's going to get under his skin as well that Governor DeSantis isn't saying anything. You know, he might just keep trying to poke the bear and mm-hmm. to get him to respond um, and as we all know, Trump will go to some pretty heavy lengths to um, yep. criticize his opponents. And, you know, he might get fed up with the fact that DeSantis isn't saying anything or maybe he'll back off thinking, all right, he's not saying much. But, you know, he wants to hear he wants to hear DeSantis say that he won't challenge him. And, you know, he's not going to do that. It seems to me like the governor can leave his options open until, you know, next summer, really. until yeah. The legislative session goes through May. He could wait until then. Now, one of the complicated things for DeSantis, and it's 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 interesting that Trump hasn't really gone after that many. I mean, he went after Youngkin and Virginia, but he hasn't gone after other Republicans, even though we've heard, you know, this past weekend, there was an event in Vegas where plenty of them made it clear that they were going to be entering the race. Yes. And so it was interesting to me that he hasn't gone after everyone else um, in a similar way. And I think a lot of it might have to do with the polling and also with the fact that, you know, unlike many of the others who want to run for president, DeSantis has this perch from which he can make national news almost every single day. And he, you know, just had this major victory in Florida. So he actually has something to, you know, Governor DeSantis has something to work with now that a lot of the others who are entering the race, you know, what they they had, they used to have jobs in the Trump administration and now they're running for president versus DeSantis, you know, in the governor's mansion has a lot that he can try to uh, try to get done over the next few months. How was the energy in the room for the Mar-a-Lago announcement? So, 
it was it was not as energetic as a lot of Trump rallies because um, that was my sense. Well, I, I've, instance, I've covered yeah. I've covered a bunch of Trump rallies, and and obviously those are like county fair populist level uh, uh, kind of energy uh, uh, events. This obviously in Mar-a-Lago, there's only so much stamp and clamp and hooting and hollering that's that's going to happen in in a room with brass railings, but. It seemed like also his energy was a little lighter and compared to his truth social stuff and his in his listserv, it was, you know, devoid of a lot of 2020 content. It was devoid of a lot of his favorite topics. Yeah, well, I think he was told to be more serious and to focus on Biden, you know, and he wasn't joking around as much. I was at the rally that he had with Marco Rubio, you know, a week, uh, a little over a week before he announced um, it at Mar-a-Lago. And, you know, he was just having fun at that rally. He's, you know, <laughs> pointing and bringing yeah. people up on stage and just, you know, having a blast. And I don't know, maybe maybe that would have been a better setting for him to make this kind of an announcement but I, I, you know, he had just come out, out of this midterms where he was getting blamed for a lot of the Republican performance and then being told, well, you shouldn't run. He's like, well, I'm going to run. I'm going to announce. And he just, you know, ignored all those who told him that he shouldn't. And, you know, just just had a very serious tone. Yeah, not a lot of joking around. And then, you know, the folks in the room, those are the types of people who are, yeah, super MAGA, but they're also pretty wealthy. You know, they're folks who can go to Mar-a-Lago fairly frequently for events and, and things like that. Um, and so he definitely seemed a little bit diminished. And I think that there were probably a lot of those other factors weighing in um, just because I saw him so much. I saw him like a week earlier and it was a completely different, you know, type of a delivery. So that was that was friends and family and on Mar-a-Lago uh, members or I mean, it certainly wasn't a, a, a publicly ticketed event or anything like that. No, no. Big donors. Um, you know, a lot of folks that I saw, you know, were people who are very who are who work as strategists for sort of mega candidates. Mm. Um, you know, Russ Vought was there who worked for OMB in the Trump administration um, Ivanka Trump, his daughter didn't come. She says she's stepping back from politics, but her husband, Jared was there. A couple other family members were there. Um, you know, Melania was up when walked up on stage with him and yeah, I mean, I, I had never been to Mar-a-Lago before and it was in the grand ballroom and you walk in and there's, you know, big chandeliers and the, the walls are very ornate. You know, there's a lot of gold on them. And then, then the, the chairs are all gold as well. So no golden escalator, but there was a lot of gold in that A lot room. of gold. Yeah. 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 And no one was sitting. I mean, they were all standing. I think the folks in the room were definitely, I don't know that how often they're used to sitting through an hour long speech from Trump, whereas the Trump rally people, they'll, they'll do it. They'll wait in the rain. They'll, they'll wait in long lines. You know, they're very passionate. Um, so you know, it's happening, obviously. Yeah. I just, uh, it, it's just not going to be a free ride for him. We're going to have a, there are going to be a lot of Republicans who are going to challenge him. And I think part of what gives them permission is that they think that former vice president Pence is going to run. And so they think, okay, yeah. well, you know, if your Veep's not loyal to you, why do I have to be, you know? And so now they're all sort of clamoring, um, which, you know, could help Trump win ultimately, because if he can just get a plurality of the vote, then, you know, someone like a Ron DeSantis might not even have a shot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, the way our primary system works, there's going to be momentum from, from, you know, uh, state to state to state. And that's, that's always kind of the, uh, the thing to look at beyond the national polls. There was a poll from a firm that I was not familiar with, but that, that had DeSantis in front in, in Iowa. But again, it's November uh, 22nd as we record this of 2022. So right. uh, and what a happens way when he- between here and there. Yeah. And like what happens when he starts going to Iowa? Well, what will Iowa voters think of Santos? I mean, here they're very enthusiastic about him, um, you know, but are we going to see that energy translate? Uh, I don't know. Uh, From your expectation watching coverage, were you surprised with how muted some of the response to to the Trump announcement was because in in uh, in the back of my head, I was kind of thinking that everybody this would be the number one thing everybody would talk about you know, nonstop, uh, uh, you know, every second since he did it, I think it's part of the reason why he wanted to do it was, was to, to put his uh, thumb on the scale of the agenda and feels like even in a fairly dead news time, there isn't a whole lot of, uh, a, a, a wither Trump coverage in the same way that there was in 2016 or, or 2020. 
Yeah, I mean, there's just, you know, there's this continual like, is is Trump going to go away, you know, kind of a thing. And maybe yeah. if we just ignore him, he'll go away. And so there isn't a lot of energy, you know, by I hate to use the term Republican establishment. Let me just say Republicans in Congress um, yeah. about him potentially running again because they do feel like he costs them some seats. Uh, I don't know how true that is. Um, you know, there there are a lot of factors this past election. One very clear one, obviously, being the you know repeal of Roe v. Wade, which I think weighed really heavily on a lot of folks, and um, you know just some of the candidates who were running. Um, I mean, to, Trump showed up for them, right? Like he he definitely mm-hmm. rallied with them and so forth, and so he's getting blamed for a lot of the for for the lackluster performance by Republicans, and I think what's happening with you know a lot of the conservative media, for example, and um, and with donors who've come out and said you know forget it is, you know, they're all trying to turn away from Trump. Um, But, you know, again, that kind of reminds me of 2016, where no one wanted anything to do with Trump. You know, there were some news outlets that didn't even cover him as a presidential candidate, really, and didn't take him seriously. And so I don't know, maybe this is a good place for Trump to be in terms of everyone turns away from him and he proves himself once again. Um, But, you know, things have changed a lot. This isn't we've we've had a Trump presidency before. So, um, you know, and and also the 2020 election, January 6th happened after that. People don't forget that either. So there's, you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, Trump, he'll get on a debate stage and he'll just destroy everyone. Well, maybe now voters don't want someone who will destroy everyone. Maybe they want someone who will get up there and be super wonky and about policy and, you know, just do good enough on stage. So you always you kind of have to like see everything through the lens of, all right, well, what led us up to this point instead of, oh, he won before he'll do it again. And in 2016, he began his brand before he went after Democrats by having a cathartic cleansing of megrims that inside the Republican Party voters obviously wanted. They wanted somebody to torch the bushes for for the Iraq war. They wanted uh, uh, somebody to scream and yell about immigration in a way that Mitt Romney didn't even even you know when he was asking people to self deport. Uh, uh, that was something that was new and it was fresh. Now we're looking at a third bowl of cereal and 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 who knows whether or not that's going to be, you know, the, the same the same dynamics, especially when he is the establishment now and he is the most important endorsement in the Republican Party. Nobody else was able to go against him for all the you know talk of like, well, how long are you going to follow him? Everyone's going to follow him until there's a more important endorsement. That's just the way politics works. He, he's, he's the lead dog, so he can't go up there and rip leadership when he's at the head of the pack. Yeah. And I just I just don't see him stepping aside, you know, even if during a primary, let's say he somehow loses. There was a really good article in Politico that I was super jealous of this past weekend. But, you know, what if then what if then he runs as an independent? Then what happens? You know, Um, and so, he, you know, then Joe Biden's reelected. I don't know. And I do think a lot, too, about the age factor, because if he were to become president again, he would be the same age that Biden was when he became president, which is 78. And I do wonder if the country is hungering for someone a little bit younger. You know, this last week we saw House Speaker Nancy Pelosi step back and say, you know, it's time for a new generation. Is there that feeling elsewhere? You know, is is there also going to be that statement made from the White House? Will Biden even run again? He says he intends to. So all of these, all these sort of pieces are, are very much unknown. The only thing we know is that Trump is running for president and, and all the other stuff is sort of still up in the air because, you know, it's still early, but you have a lot of folks dipping their toe in. (laughs) Absolutely. And thank God uh, we both get uh, uh, roughly two years worth of content to describe exactly what is happening inch by inch. Kimberly Leonard, uh, politics correspondent for Insider. Uh, Thank you so much. It is always just a pleasure when I can nerd out about Florida politics and uh, I hope to have you back on soon. Yeah, thank you. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to thank our guest, you can head on over to px3guest.com. 
uh, uh, Kimberly was fantastic, and she's a newbie, right? This is her first time on the show, so let's let let's show her that um, we we enjoy when good smart people come on and and give us their insights. Just head on over to letter P letter X number three guest dot com. You can email me the young American at gmail.com. Twitter is uh, PX three tweets and you can watch me live on the internet. PX three live.com. If you'd like to share this podcast with your friends, family and clergy, it is PX three podcast.com. You can hit me off with a one-time donation. That is paypal.me slash pay jury on PayPal. Venmo is justin-young-20. Cash app is px3cash. We got 20 bucks on cash app. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. And of course, you can send anything you'd like to me in the mail. P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas 78715. Now there's only one place where you're going to be able to get two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we missed during our free podcasting schedule, and that is at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. But if you want to get that and your name read at the end of the show, then there's only one place that you need to go, and that is TakePoliticsSeriously.com, where you sign up for the Titanic $10 tier, including Dustin, Jason, Andres, Matt, Craig, Potts, MC Dradio, Unsafe DB Levels, Katie, Amanda, Yield, Pinball Shop, DP4, Bongo, Catherine, Todd, Persons Familiar with the Matter, and Vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Edison, Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right, Left, Right, BA, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100 Mile Runner, Idris, Arzlandi, and Blue Front and the Lenina, DL, Stephen, Chad, Nomadic, Terran, Diana, Turn 2, Miranda, Janelle, Adam, Chief, Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul is awesome. Brad, Richard, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike who loves Frank got abducted, Utah, Jimmy Montana, the Gen A-L-D-L-D-L-D, really? Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua, you want your name read? Again, one more time, it is TakePoliticsSeriously.com, sign up at the $10 tier. Who's going to be the one to say that they started subscribing at the $10 tier and they went all the way to election day? There's only one way to find out if you start. On our Thanksgiving edition of the program, of course, we're going to do the bonus episode for patrons, but uh, what what is normally our Friday episode is going to be a special one. And I would normally tease it, but I think it's going to be self-explanatory. It'll be a longer conversation, and I truly hope you guys enjoy it. But that'll come to you at the end of the week. Till then, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh, three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.